of 1 Samuel. We're going to read the first 10 verses of chapter 3 and the first 11 verses of chapter 4. And I've got a little deal going on with the guys in the front. My title is Three Altars. I've got three altars. They, they all start with the letter C. And, and if you're in from Brother Shane and Sister Kay's class and below, if after the service you can get those three altars and come and tell me what they are, then I might have a candy bar with your name on it. We're going... That's just, that's just for the little ones now. Don't get too excited. <laughs> All right, let's read about Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 3, the first 10 verses there say, And the child Samuel ministered unto the Lord before Eli. And the word of the Lord was precious in those days. There was no open vision. And it came to pass at that time when Eli was laid down in his place and his eyes began to wax dim that he could not see. And ere the lamp of God went out in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was, and Samuel was laid down to sleep. And then the Lord called to Samuel, and he answered, Here am I. And he ran unto Eli and said, Here am I, for thou callest me. And he said, I called not, lie down again. And he went and lay down. And the Lord called yet again Samuel. And Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here am I, for thou didst call me. And he answered, I called not, my son, lie down again. Now Samuel did yet know the Lord, neither was the word of the Lord yet revealed unto him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time, and he arose and went to Eli and said, Here am I, for, for you did call me. And Eli finally perceives that the Lord had called the child. Therefore Eli said unto Samuel, Go lie down, and it shall be, if he call thee, that thou shalt say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place and the Lord came and stood and called as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And then Samuel answers, speak for thy servant heareth. Chapter four, verse number one. And the word of Samuel came to all Israel. Now Israel went out against the Philistines to battle and pitched beside Ebenezer and the Philistines pitched in Aphek. And the Philistines put themselves in array against Israel. And when they joined battle, Israel was smitten before the Philistines and they slew of the army in the field about 4,000 men. And when the people were coming to the camp, the elders of Israel said, wherefore hath the Lord smitten us today before the Philistines? Let us fetch the ark of the covenant of the Lord out of Shiloh unto us that when it comes among us, it may save us out of the hand of our enemies. And so the people sent to Shiloh that they might bring from thence the ark of the covenant of the Lord of hosts that dwells between the cherubims and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas were there with the ark of the covenant of God. And when the ark of the covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel shouted with a great shout so that the earth rang again. And when the Philistines heard the noise of the shout, they said, what means meaneth the noise of this great shout in the camp of the Hebrews? And they understood that the ark of the Lord was coming to the camp. And they became afraid, for they said, God is coming to the camp. And they said, Woe unto us, for there hath not been such a thing heretofore. Woe unto us, who is going to deliver us out of the hand of these mighty gods? These are the gods that smote the Egyptians with all the plagues in the wilderness. Be strong and quit yourselves like men, O ye Philistines, that you won't be servants unto the Hebrews as they have been to you. Quit yourselves like men and fight. 
and the Philistines fought and Israel was smitten and they fled every man into his tent and there was a great slaughter for there fell of Israel 30,000 footmen. And the ark of God was taken and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas were slain. Let's pray over the word of the Lord. God, I thank you, Lord, for your presence that's here it's been here all day, God. I thank you, Lord, that, that you have visited with us, that the almighty creator, Lord, that you have chosen to come down and be with us here this evening. God, we thank you for that. Lord, we thank you, God, for your word, Lord, that you've preserved for us, God, that you've given us to, Lord, so that we can learn, God, so that we can draw closer to you, Lord, so that we can be sanctified in your sight. God, I pray here tonight, God, that you would anoint this word, Lord, that we would hear it, God, that we wouldn't just hear, Lord, but that we would be, be doers of your word. God, I pray, Lord, that you would bless this word, bless your people. Lord, it's in your precious holy name we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. The three altars. Paul tells us that the Old Testament was given to us to give us examples of how to live and, and at times how not to live. And it, it's wise for us to learn from the mistakes of others and it's wise for us to follow in the pattern of godly men. The story that we have read here this evening, it presents to us three paths of worship, three altars. The path that, that provides the closest relationship to God, it's really easy for us to see that Samuel is the one that we want to follow after, that he's the one that we want to emulate. And yet we see of the four men that we read of in the story, Eli, Hophni, Phinehas, and Samuel, there was only one man that chose to follow, that chose to align himself in God's will. I saw a quote this week that simply said, everyone worships, the only choice we get is what we worship. Well, I would add to that that we also choose how we worship. And in our text here tonight, we, we see three altars that show us how these characters worshiped. And yet only one of these altars was pleasing to God. The first altar that we find is in the life of Eli, and that's the altar of complacency. You get that one, Weston? The altar of complacency. The early life of Eli is somewhat shrouded in mystery. Whenever we're introduced to Eli in 1 Samuel chapter 1, he's an old, overweight man in the early stages of blindness. And, and that's what I think whenever I think of that man, Eli. I think of an old man that, that is not following God, that, that, that is a, a sorry excuse for a priest, for a man of God. That's what I think when I think of the man, Eli. Whenever we begin to think about the current status that, that Eli is in, it's apparent that at one time he was a great man of God. Think about this. Eli is the first priest and judge over Israel since the days of Moses and Joshua. That's saying something. Around 250 years has passed since the exodus from Egypt. And we find that Eli is one of the successors of Joshua. But even Joshua was not a judge and a priest. At that time, the, the priestly uh, priesthood had been placed and, and Joshua was essentially just a judge, a military leader over Israel. To, to find someone that, that, that is like Eli, we would have to go all the way back to Moses before the law was established. And we would have to see that Moses was both judge and priest for the people of Israel. 
that great man of God who led the children of Israel out of bondage and into the promised land, Moses and Eli. I would never connect those two men before I begin to study this text. Both were priests and judges over Israel. That, that's astounding to me to think about because Eli is not, he's not in a status right now that we would say that he was anything close to Moses but he once was a mighty man of God. He once was a spiritual heavyweight in the land of Israel. He spoke to God regularly and he judged over the people of Israel. But now he's just a shell of what he once was. The presence of God that he used to encounter on a day-by-day basis is no longer, no longer in his life. So now the prayers of the people of Israel, to him, they just sound like drunken cries. The times of fasting that that he once had in his life, they've now been replaced by excess. The Bible says he was a fat old man. And so those times where he went without food, he hasn't been without food in a long, long time. Whenever we first encounter Eli in 1 Samuel chapter 1, the Bible tells us that he is sitting outside of the temple as Hannah enters in to pray. The writer makes it very clear, he's outside of the temple. He's just sitting on the outside. He's just waiting. There are people who are coming in and out and, and they need to be ministered to, but what is he doing? He's just sitting on the outside. Come on, Eli, you're a great man of God. You, you were once great and powerful and you are the priest and you're the judge over Israel. And here he is, he's just sitting on the outside waiting for the next meal, waiting for for the next thing that, that, that is clearly unimportant as far as spiritual things go. And so here he is. The, we see that, that Hannah, she's in the church praying. Eli should be there with her. Eli should be ministering there with her. He should be praying with her, interceding, interceding before God on her behalf. But instead, he's just outside the temple waiting Whenever Hannah enters into the temple, we we find out that she is in a broken state of heart and mind. She desperately wants to give her husband Elkanah a child, but, but she's been afflicted with a state of barrenness. And there's another complicating factor, and that's the fact that her husband has another wife named Penina, and Penina has given Elkanah children. And not only that, but Penina is not exactly what we would think of as a godly woman because she likes to rub it in the face of Hannah that she has given her husband children and Hannah has not. And so Hannah is just broken. She she wants so badly to have a child. She she prays to God, God, whatever could, could, could come past, please give me a child. I'll do whatever. I'll give you this child. I just want to have a child. The Bible tells us that she's weeping. It says that she hasn't eaten for a period of time. It says that she is broken and in bitterness of soul is what the King James says. That is how she is crying out to God. It's very important to notice here what the response of Eli is. He didn't go in to pray with her. He didn't even sit outside and and pray on her behalf. No, instead he accuses her of being in a state of drunkenness. Now, I don't say this to put myself on any kind of a pedestal, but I'm not familiar with the effects of alcohol quickly enough to recognize if somebody's drunk walking by me, if they're drunk or not. I would just say, Man, that, I guess they're just, that's just how they are, I guess. But how is it that Eli, 
the priest of the almighty God, the judge of Israel, that whenever he sees a woman desperately praying in this highly emotional state, that the first thing that he thinks, this lady must be drunk. Could it be that Eli was more familiar with drunkenness than he was with intercessory prayer? We're gonna to get to Eli's heathen sons here in just a few minutes, but, but it's apparent to the reader that drunkenness is more commonly found in the temple of God than there are prayers. Drunkenness is more common in God's temple at this time than intercessory prayer. What an indictment it is on Eli of, of how far he was elevated, of how great he once was and how far he has fallen. It's shocking. We, we see so many times in the Old Testament that, that the people of God would turn their back on the one true God, but now the priest of God has turned his back on God. And so there's no surprise whenever we opened our text here tonight, 1 Samuel 3, it says that there was no open vision during this time. Of course there wasn't. Eli, he didn't hear God's voice. He wasn't looking for God. He wasn't praying to God. He had no desire for God. Eli, who had once been a great, strong, mighty man of God, now found it more common to find a drunk in the temple than to find someone who was given to prayer. If Eli, if he didn't have a powerful devotion to God, then he never would have been called to the position that he was in. At one time, this man was a great man of God. That's something that I had to, to really wrap my mind around because I, when I think Eli, I think that this man is the furthest thing from a godly man than there ever was, except his boys. But, but at some point, the flames of devotion had faded and now he was just a weak, impotent man. He weakly rebukes his sons there in 1 Samuel chapter 2 at verse 22. It says, now Eli, he was very old and he heard all that his sons had did unto Israel and how they lay with the women that assembled at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And he said unto them, why do you do these things? For I hear of your evil dealings by all of this people. Nay, my sons, it is no good report that I hear. You make the Lord's people to transgress. If one man sins against another, then the judge is going to judge him. But if a man sins against God, who's going to entreat for him? And notwithstanding, they hearken not unto the voice of their father because the Lord was going to judge them. The Lord was going to slay them. So Eli's altar of complacency had now cost him his family. His words had no impact on his sons. Why? Because they had lost respect for him a long, long time ago. Whenever he stood before them and he said those things, they said, come on, dad. We've, we've seen you now for so long. We've seen the way that you've lived. We've seen that, that you've taught things and you haven't lived them. Come on, dad, we don't, we, we're not gonna hear you. Paul, he tells us of the importance of the spiritual leader to rule well over his own home. First Timothy 3, 4, and 5, one that rules well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how is he gonna take care of the church of God? This is Paul. He's laying out the, the requirements for a spiritual elder in the early church. Why does he make this stipulation? Because a man who can't rule over his own home 
doesn't need to take care of the church of God. Who you are in the privacy of your home, it reveals your character. It reveals who you really are. And so at some point in Eli's life, he had let some things slip and his boys were there to see every single little thing. And then they followed in his footsteps. Was, was Eli too busy? Was, was, was there too many temptations for, for pride in his life? Did, did he become egotistical and power hungry and think, man, I'm the, you have to look back to Moses to see the last person that was great as I am. Is that what began to fill his mind and his heart and caused him to fall away from God? The Bible, it doesn't clearly answer these questions, but we know that at one point he was a great man of God, but now he's unable to hear God's voice and the children of Israel and his own children suffer from his lack of devotion to God. His children and the children of Israel suffered because of his decisions, the decisions that he made. And so I'll speak to, to the women with Hannah here in a second, but, but for the men, the spiritual leaders in this house here tonight, you think your decisions impact your children. Your decisions impact those who are under you. Why? Because they're looking for a pattern of behavior to follow after. And if there's hypocrisy, if there's you say one thing, but you do another, they see that. They see that. In Eli's words, they sounded strong that, that, that he said to Hophni and Phinehas, but they had, they had heard that for so long and seen something different for so long that his words meant nothing to them. It's important for us to remember that maybe, maybe it was just the busyness of life that caused Eli to suffer from the fall that he had. In the parable of the sower and the seed, we see that, that the seed, the, the word that is, that is sown out by the sower, that's the word of God. And, and the Bible says that there's one thing that can choke out the word of God, and that's the cares of this life. Maybe Eli had just gotten so busy with just, just the regular busy things of life that, that he had neglected his spiritual walk and, and now he could no longer resurrect that, that passion, that fire that was once inside of him and he can't even hear God's voice and the people of God cannot hear his voice because there's no open vision because of the decisions that he made to worship at the altar of complacency. He can't remember what God's voice sounds like because he's gotten too busy to spend some time alone with God. I'll say to the church in 2021, there are so many things that vie for our attention. Our phones, I get the, I don't know if it's the same for everyone, but, but my phone gives me the weekly report on Sunday mornings. It comes in and tells me your screen time was up for this week. Your screen time was down for this week. We have so many things that make us so busy. And then whenever we're not busy, what's the first thing we do? We pull our phone out. We, we got to see what the score is. See, see what the latest post was. See if anybody had a kid while we didn't check our phone. We've got to see what is going on. And we get so busy with these things that we neglect our spirit life and we're just worshiping in a complacent way and we're not hearing God's voice. We're outside of the temple. We're not in the temple praying and interceding with our brothers and sisters in Christ. But the saddest glimpse into Eli's lack of discernment comes in 1 Samuel chapter 3. Where we are told that Eli's vision, his, his physical vision has begun to left him. And so this is a man now that is wandering around both in physical and in spiritual blindness. 
His discernment has never been less than what it is at this point. He can't see God. He can't hear God. He can't, the, the saying of, you know, that, that a hurricane would come through and he, somebody's so deaf, they would never even know the hurricane came through. If God's presence, if his glory fell in the temple, Eli would have never even known because he's blind. The open vision that was once common in the days of Moses and Joshua, that's long gone. And God has no spokesman for his people. But we find a young Samuel who's sleeping in the temple of God while, while Eli, is, the Bible says, is outside the temple yet again. And as Samuel begins to fall asleep, the Lord cries out to Samuel. Samuel, he's still a young boy. He doesn't realize that it's the Lord speaking to him. So he hears a voice and he goes running to Eli. Eli, did you call me? No, son, I didn't call you. Go back to bed. And it happens again and yet again. Samuel runs to Eli. Eli, did you call me? Someone called me. I'm in the temple. I heard a voice. No, Samuel, I didn't call you. Go to sleep. Then again, a third time, three times. Now you would think that, that a man of God had a young child who was sleeping in the temple and you heard a voice, you would say, you know what? It's probably God's voice that you heard. But Eli, he can't even discern whenever someone else hears God's voice. He doesn't know if God's talking to him. He doesn't know if God's talking to Samuel. He's totally blind. He's totally deaf to the word of God. Three times it takes before he finally realizes that might be God speaking to you, Samuel. Eli, the priest of God, has got to be woken up three times before he finally realizes what God is doing. He hasn't heard God's voice in years. He's more accustomed to the voices of the world than he is the voice of God. But even whenever Samuel is in the temple, he's in the temple and he hears an audible voice, it never even crosses Eli's mind that that is probably the word of God. He accused Hannah of being drunk and yet he was surprised for the fact that God was speaking in the temple. How shocking it is. He, he's more used to drunk people being there in the temple than for God speaking in the temple. The depths to which Eli has fallen, it, it's, it's unfathomable that this once great man of God can no longer hear or discern God's voice. It's so difficult to wrap my mind around the altar of complacency that he has worshiped at for so long has left him with zero spiritual sensitivity. And this is a warning for all of us. Remember, Paul said that these stories are for examples for us to learn from, for us to, to begin to glean spiritual truths from. But I would say that especially that this is a warning to those who have been in the church for a long period of time. At one time, maybe you were a great man or woman of God, but, but have things of God become mundane and routine? Does your time of devotion, does it not capture your heart like it once did? Do you not hear God's voice as clearly as you used to? Are you more comfortable with the things of this world than spiritual things? You might say, you know what, Brother Justin, that would never happen to me. But remember, Eli was once a great, powerful man of God. I can't say it enough. 
On certain levels, he, he equaled spiritual giants like Moses. And if that man can slip into complacency, then so can any one of us here tonight. But the remedy to spiritual complacency is found at the second altar that I wanna speak to here tonight. And that's the altar where Samuel worshiped, the altar of consecration, the altar of consecration. Our introduction to Samuel is also found in 1 Samuel chapter one. Samuel is the answer to prayer for Hannah. He's the answer to prayer. As soon as he is born, before he was born, Hannah had already promised God, this is your child. This is your child. So Hannah raises Samuel to be a servant of the almighty God. And whenever he's around five or six years old, she takes him to the temple and she presents him to God and to Eli. And the young boy, he wastes no time. Look there in 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 27 and 28. For this child I prayed and the Lord has given me my petition, which I ask of him. And therefore have I lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he shall be lent to the Lord. Look at Samuel's first action. He shows up to the temple and he worshiped the Lord there. He worshiped the Lord there. At just five years old, we find Samuel worshiping God. Now, let me take a side trail for just a moment. I cannot tell you how important it is to bring your children to church, to train them up, to, to have times in your home where you train them up. You've got to train them to be worshipers. If Samuel is at five years old and he's worshiping God, this got to be the exact same today. You know, we're always saying that, that times are getting worse and worse and worse, but, but this was a pretty desperate time in Israel's history. There's no open vision. There's no word of God that's going forth. There, there are, are just rank sinners in Hophni and Phinehas that are in the temple of God that are presenting sacrifices to God. This is a, time, a desperate time in Israel's history. Just like today, is a desperate time in our history, but God can raise up young children, no matter what it looks like on the outside. But it's important for us as parents to say, I'm gonna raise my kids the way that God, that is gonna honor him. They're gonna come in and they're gonna give him worship and give him glory that they know that from a young age, from five years old, they say, I'm not here to, to eat cookies and to drink milk. I'm not here to have a good time, no. I'm here to worship God. I'm here to worship God. The Bible tells us that Hannah, she, she poured her heart out. She poured her soul out to young Samuel and her heart was full of worship. And guess what? Samuel's became full of worship as well. Our children are so valuable to the kingdom of God. You can't expect to just be on spiritual cruise control during this day and age. Eli was on cruise control. He had, he had forgotten things. He had let things go. He was complacent in his worship. And look at what happened to his boys. But Hannah, she's got a purpose in her heart. And she says, you know what, my son, he's not just another boy. He's not gonna grow up and be like the, the children of this world. No, he's gonna be different. And I'm gonna be intentional about the way that I raised him. You're gonna have to spend time with your kids. You're gonna have to model it for them. You're gonna to have to teach them how God wants us to worship. Samuel didn't just step foot into a temple at five years old 
and then learn how to worship God. No, his parents had been teaching him, been showing him the ropes. Every day they recited to them, to him the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your might. They were intentional in the way that they raised them because they were dedicating them to God's service. I know that we have the, the baby dedications and, and, and we, you know, we go through the motions sometimes and we think this is just something that we gotta do. But think about what you're doing whenever you stand here and you dedicate your child to God. It's just like Hannah, you're saying, God, I'm lending you him. I'm lending you her for all of their life, for all of their days. God, I'm giving you this child so that they can live in your will, so that they can learn to worship you, so that they can learn to love you. You've got to be intentional because the world is intentional about trying to destroy their souls. You can look, you take you about three seconds and you can find some teacher on YouTube trying to teach kids about the, the way that society is supposed to be now, about things that go in the direct opposite way of the way that God would have us to live our lives. And in the name of tolerance, in the name of inclusion, in the name of, of whatever it is, they try to teach us these things and they go right in the opposite direction of the way that God would want us to live our lives. I heard a, a story of a man with, with his young children. They were sitting there at dinner one night and, and the dad was talking about some biblical truths and the child, a young child, 10, 11 years old said, dad, that's hate speech. He said, what are you talking about? He said, we learned at school, dad, that that's hate speech. You can't talk like that. You can't say those things. If the world is intentional about destroying their souls, if the world is intentional about brainwashing our children, then how much more should we be like Hannah and Elkanah and say, you know what? The world is not gonna have my kids. If I've gotta spend time in prayer, if I've gotta spend time in fasting, you know what? I'm gonna do that. I've gotta be a discerning parent. I've gotta say, you know what? Their soul is the most valuable part of their existence and I cannot let them be destroyed by Satan. Satan, if you're not being purposeful about praying, then your kids stand no chance. They stand no chance. But guess what? If you pray, if you fast, if you, if you say, you know what, God, I'm dedicating this child to your service. If you're intentional about it, then God has shown us that he's going to work and he's going to protect Oh, that God would raise up some Hannahs and raise up some Elkanahs here this evening to say in their mind, you know what? I am not going to let my children fall to the things of this world. They are going to be a worshiper of the one true God. First Samuel chapter two and verse number 11, it goes on to tell us that, that not only is Samuel worshiping God, but verse number 11 says, the child did minister to the Lord before Eli the priest. This child is ministering to the Lord in worship at five years old, at five years old. The, the way that, 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 it, that is used here, it shows us that Samuel is being a servant to God. It's the same word that we find whenever Joseph became a servant to Potiphar. He's saying that, 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 that Samuel at this young age, he's putting himself in service to God. He's already learning things that, that, that some adults don't even know of, of giving their lives to the service of the kingdom. A five-year-old boy, and he comes into the temple ready for worship and ready 
for service to God. Asher, you wait. Asher, come here, buddy. I'm, I'm kind of uh, hoping this is going to turn out the way that I intend. <laughs> Asher's five years old. I love this little guy. And if I'm not intentional in the way that I raised him, guess what? Hafna and Fina has letting him go, being like Eli, taking a chance here, can turn, it can turn in a bad, bad way. And so I take, I take little Asher and I'll say, Asher, why did Jesus die on the cross? For our sins. He died for our sins. I'll say, Asher, I want you to quote Deuteronomy 6, 4. Um, here, O Israel, the Lord our God is will Deuteronomy 6, 4. That's right. That's the most important thing that he can know. Jesus died for our sins on the cross. Jesus has such a great love for us that he died for our sins on the cross. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. You've got you to write it on your door frame. You've got to have it in your mind at all the times. Deuteronomy 6, let's just go there very quickly. Deuteronomy 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words which I command you this day, they should be in your heart. You should teach them diligently to your children. You should talk of them whenever you're sitting in your house, whenever you're walking around, whenever you're lying down, whenever you're rising up. You, you need to bind them for a sign upon your hand. They need to be like frontlets between your eyes. You need to write them on the post of your house and on your gates. And it shall be when the Lord thy God, which is going to bring you into the land which he swear unto your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give thee great and goodly cities which thou buildest not. And it goes on is saying look every single time that you wake up every single time that you lay down you know what Asher and Addie there's only one true God there's only one God he's above all you need to love him with everything inside of your heart and here's the indictment because Eli and his sons how they turned out we know that they didn't do what they were supposed to do. It matters how we raise our kids. It matters what we teach them to value. Samuel, he was prepared for a life of consecration at five years old. When he walks in the temple, he's already ready. He's already worshiping God. He's already ministering to God. Why? Because he's been made prepared for the service that God has called him to at five years old. We're going to see in chapter 3 that, that he still needs to learn God's voice. But, but the, the, the foundational elements of, of his service to God, they're already there in his heart. He was set apart for God's servant. He was, he was different than all of the other kids. He had already learned that his service to God was the most important part of his existence. And it's normal. I tell you, it is normal for a kid to be consumed with egocentric thoughts. I'm ready to eat. I want this toy. Don't go down the toy aisle at, at Walmart or Target with a young child. Don't do it. 
I don't want to go to bed. But here's Samuel learning to serve others at an early age, putting the needs of God and his people before his own needs. That is the altar that God has called us to, the altar of consecration. He's wanting us to separate ourselves apart from this world to do service in the kingdom of God. He's not calling us to build our own kingdom. He's calling us to build his kingdom for his glory, for his honor, everything that we do, God, what can I do to bring you glory and to bring you honor. So now we come to chapter three, but this time from Samuel's side of the story. Some time has passed now. He's no longer five. Most scholars estimate that he was somewhere around 11 years old. And yet here he is right in the middle of the temple, right in the middle of God's work. The Bible says that he is in the temple where the ark of God is. He has placed himself in God's will, in God's temple. Even whenever he's asleep, he's there. And it's in this time that God chooses to reveal himself to Samuel. Now, we're we're Pentecostal. We we got camp meeting for that. We've got NAYC for that. We, we've got, we got revival services. We've got accent weekends. We've got rally. We, th- those are just special times. God only speaks during those times, right? Maybe it would have been whenever Eli had to enter into the Holy of Holies or, or maybe it was one of the great feasts that was going on, but it's just a regular, normal evening of service to God. He's just doing the regular things that he does to minister to the Lord, to minister to the people of the Lord, to minister to Eli. Just his regular duties. Whenever we get into our minds that, that, that God can only speak to us because some great evangelist is here or because, because we're at NAYC or because we're at camp meeting, then we're taking away the fact of God's faithfulness whenever we're just doing our regular service to God. He can speak to you at any moment. God didn't wait for some great event to speak to Samuel. No, he spoke to him just whenever Samuel was in his regular time of service. Don't grow frustrated during these times because God is working even when you don't think he is. Samuel's just, he's just sweeping out the temple. He's just, he's just cleaning up the bathrooms. He's just doing the regular old thing. And here is where God speaks to him. But what do we want? We want the right song. We we want the right preacher. We, We want to use somebody else's anointing to get God to speak to us. Why? We've been complacent. We haven't been giving God our time. We haven't been giving God our best time. We haven't been spending time with him. So we need somebody else to speak God's word to us. God wants to speak to you in your time of service. Why is it that we want to rely on the anointing of others to get our answer in prayer when God just wants us to consecrate ourselves to him so that he can speak to us directly. You don't need fill-in-the-blank evangelists to come in and preach whatever message it is. I, this, this year has, has been a great year. It was Mark Brown here this year or was it last year? Is this year. We've had Brother Mark Brown. We've had Brother Naylor. We've had Brother Jackson. We've had some great men of God come and speak here in this pulpit but God forbid if we think that those are the only men that can touch God. God forbid if we think that we can't touch God 
in just those normal, regular, everyday times of service. There was no open vision. Remember, no open vision during this time. If Samuel wouldn't have been right with God, then no one would have heard from God. But since Samuel had, had just chosen to give himself to God's service, he became available for God to speak to him, even in just the normal times. Don't quit just because you're not doing something that isn't noticed by the masses. Nobody knew who Samuel was. Nobody knew at this point Samuel's gonna become one of the great prophets of Israel, but nobody knows who he is. That's just a little kid that's sweeping the temple. That's just, I think I saw that kid with Eli one time whenever we went to go offer our sacrifice to God. Nobody knew who Samuel was and God chose him to reveal himself to. And the message that Samuel received, it wasn't a warm fuzzy like we wanna hear. The message that Samuel had to deliver to Eli was one that there was gonna be great judgment for the sins of Eli and his sons. Think about that, an 11 year old having to go tell Eli, his spiritual mentor, um, Eli, uh, God told me that um, he's gonna destroy your priestly lineage. He's gonna rain down his judgment on you. Your boys, are, they're, they're gonna die. Think of an 11-year-old having to tell a man like Eli that. And yet, what does Samuel do? He's been spending so much time in the temple. He's been spending so much time giving himself to the service of God that whenever God speaks to him, he says, I have no recourse but to give this message. It's not something that I necessarily wanna say, but, but it's something that God has spoken to me. And now I'm gonna give that message in its entirety. The times of consecration in your life prepare you for the work that God wants you to complete later. The, the, the regular things that you're doing now, your, your daily Bible reading, your daily prayer, your times of fasting, you're saying, man, nothing crazy is happening right now. God's preparing you for something down the road. So Samuel may have thought that he was just getting a sacrifice ready or he was just doing his regular old thing, but all along God is preparing him for the work. The message is later on in life that he's gonna have to give to Saul, to, to Jesse, to David. These messages he's gonna have to go and deliver. At this point, he, he's a mouthpiece of God. He, he has no shame as he gives the message. He, he's not anxious about giving that message of God. Why? Because he knows what God's voice sounds like. He knows I'm not speaking of myself. I'm just giving the word of God. And now our third altar that we get to, these infamous two characters in the Bible. Hophni and Phinehas, they worshiped at the altar of convenience. The altar of convenience. The sins of the two sons of Eli are the end result of his complacency, of his just laissez-faire attitude toward parenting. He's just, just let them go, though. Hopefully they turn out. The oft-used quote, what one generation does in moderation, the next one does in excess, it applies to this tragic story. And whenever we're first introduced to Hophni and Phinehas, look at it, 1 Samuel 2 and 12, their description is not very glowing. The sons of Eli are sons of Belial. They don't even know the Lord. They're in the temple. They don't even know the Lord. The original language there, it tells us that to be a son of, a, a son of Belial is to be wicked and worthless. 
The writer goes on to tell us that they were sacrificing in the temple. So most scholars would say at this point that these men were probably around 30 years old. These are 30 year old men who have been raised up in the temple who are the sons of Eli. And they are sons of Belial. They are sons of wickedness and they are worthless to God and they don't even know who he is. And here's Samuel, five years old, and he comes in and he's worshiping God. The verse that proceeds, verse 11, says here's Samuel, he's ministering to God. Oh, here's Hophni and Phinehas, they're sons of Belial. Think about the contrast there. 30-year-old men, and they're just wicked and worthless in God's sight. The path that Eli's boys took and Samuel are gonna take, they're complete opposite direction. But what's the difference? Because Samuel was essentially raised by the same man just as Hophni and Phinehas had been. Remember that foundation that had been set in Samuel's life. Remember he had a praying mother who called out his name in prayer. And think about it. We're never told what Eli's wife's name is. We don't know who Hophni and Phinehas' mama was. I don't want to try to draw out something from the Bible that's not there, but, but, but what it is, the fact that remains is God knew it was important enough, Hannah's prayers, that he decided to include that in the scripture that we read here today. He said, you know, we, we could have just said, you know what, Eli was a, was a priest and, and a boy named Samuel came along and, and there's Samuel. We could have never even heard about Hannah, but God said, you know what, her prayers touched heaven. I heard her prayers. I heard her voice. I heard her desperate call. And I'm going to put that in scripture to show my people an example that is set there. Not once do we hear of Eli's prayers for his children. Not once do we hear of his wife's prayers for those two evil boys. God hears all of our prayers, but there's something about the prayer of a desperate mother for her children. And in Samuel's life, it made all the difference. Certainly there was a time where that, that Samuel, he had to get it for himself. He couldn't just live off the prayers of his mama, but, but at, at a certain point, God protected him because of those prayers. And they prevented him from engaging in the sins of Hophni and Phinehas because they were right there. I mean, you think of a five-year-old child and looking up to a 30-year-old. I mean, you think, I mean, on certain levels, that like they're kind of a model. They're an example. I, you know, I want to be with them. I want to go hang out with them. I want to go hang out with the big guys. I want to go do what they're doing. And all the while, Samuel's there essentially by himself because Eli's on cruise control. He's not even in the temple. Hophni and Phinehas are doing evil things in the temple. And God is keeping Samuel in a bubble. He's protecting him for the work that he's going to do with him later. And them, those boys, they were sinful men. They use their position in the temple to fulfill their lustly flesh. And right after we, we get this unpleasant description of who they are, verses 13 through 15 show us what they did. I wanna read this in the ESV, 1 Samuel 2, 13 through 15. The custom of the priest with the people was that when the man offered the sacrifice, the priest's servant would come. Here's Hophni and Phinehas. These, these boys, they're gonna come and while the meat was boiling with a three-pronged fork in his hand, he would thrust it into the pan or, or kettle or cauldron or pot and all that the fork brought up, the priest would take for himself. And this was what they did at Shiloh to all the Israelites who, who came there. Moreover, before the fat was burned, the priest's servants would come and say to the man who was sacrificing, give me meat 
for the priest to roast, for he will not accept boiled meat from you, but only raw. These wicked, wicked men would, would take a portion for themselves before the meat had a chance to boil. You see what is going on there with that sacrifice? It's God, he has said, he's laid it out in his word. He's laid it out there. He said, whenever that, that sacrifice is brought to me, take all that, all that meat and I want you to put it into a pot and I want you to let it boil for hours and hours and hours on end. And what begins to happen? The fat breaks down and the meat begins to become tender and all falls apart. And so they would take that fork down and they would, they would get some of that meat out so that they would be able to feed the priest. But what did Hophni and Phinehas do? They waited no time at all. That, that meat was still raw, the Bible says. And so whenever they stuck their fork down in that pot roast, they pulled out the whole thing and nothing is left there for the sacrifice to God. What are they doing? What are they doing? They're using God for the convenience of filling their own bellies. They only come to the temple when they're hungry. They have no thought of going in to worship God. They're just going there to get some food. They use their position to feed their flesh. Whenever the Bible tells us that Eli fell and, and fell to his death, the Bible describes the King James says he was old and heavy. How did he get so fat? Because he was taking the meat that his sons would give him, that meat that was supposed to go to God in sacrifice, and, and he would take that and he would eat all of it for himself. So they lived in excess, whereas Samuel was living in service to God. The man of God who has to come to, to, to Eli and prophesy to him in 1 Samuel chapter two, he tells Eli, he says, you know what, Eli? He says, one day there's gonna come a day whenever your family has to beg for food. And here's Eli sitting at the table. He's got the whole pot roast sitting right there. He's ready to go. He's got the whole thing. He's, he, he's never had a day where he went hungry. He's never had a time where he pushed back the plate and said, you know what, today's a day of fasting. Today's a day where I'm gonna tell my flesh no. No, he's just eating and eating and eating. How brazenly sinful it was for them to steal sacrifices from God. Their hearts were as cold as stone. The only reason they came to the temple was to feed their lustful desires. The Bible goes on to describe to us that, that they used their position to have immoral relationships with women who came to the temple. I find it shocking that God didn't just strike those boys down, but instead he let the fruit of their sin continue to grow until it was time for his wrath to be poured out. Even whenever Eli confronts him, guys, what are you doing? You're not sinning against man. You're sinning against God. What are y'all doing? They don't care, but it's all gonna catch up to them. First Samuel 4, they go to battle against the Philistines and the battle's not going so well. In fact, they lose 4,000 men on the first day of battle. But Hophni and Phinehas, they, they've got a plan. They, they've been using God for their own personal good for so long. What do they do? They say, oh, I know what we can do. We, we can get the Ark of the Covenant and we can bring that here into the battle with us and God is, God's gonna save us. What are you talking about, Hophni? What are you talking about, Phinehas? You've never had a relationship with God. You've never went to the temple to worship God, to lift up his name. What are you talking about? Now you're just using God to try to save your bacon. That's what they're doing. They, they, they're just using God because they're afraid that they're going to die. Once again, the only reason that they ever even consider God 
It's for their own convenience. They, they don't know God in the slightest. They don't know his voice. That verse, 1 Samuel 2 and 12, it said that they were sons of Belial. They didn't even know God. They, they had no right to take the Ark of the Covenant with them. And I wish that we could say that we're never guilty of this, but on some levels, it's just human nature. Because what do we do? We, we rely on ourselves until, until the Philistines have killed 4,000 men. And we say, oh God, I'm not gonna be able to handle this one on my own. I guess I need to get that, that prayer life going again. I guess I need to, to, to get back in your word again. I guess I need to try to get some things going again. But it's like, it's just like Samson. He thinks, you know what? I'm just gonna, I'm gonna let things go for a little while. I'm just gonna serve God out of convenience. When, whenever I need some great strength, you know what? I'm gonna go before God and oh man, God's gonna give me this strength. And when he kept going back and forth and back and forth. And one day he woke up and the strength was gone and he didn't even know it. He didn't even know it. So it's human nature for us to, to do this at times. And God is not pleased by this kind of worship. He's not pleased whenever we worship in an altar of convenience. He doesn't want 50%. He doesn't want 75%. He doesn't want part of you. He wants all of you. He wants all of you. He wants those who will pick up their cross and who will follow him. Our calling, it doesn't make life easier. In fact, sometimes it, it might complicate your life, but trust me, it's so worth it. It's so worth it. Eli's sons were looking further to just want to, 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 to fulfill the passions and desires of their sinful heart. They were only interested in, in God whenever it came to, to pleasing themselves. And it's easy to find out what God thinks about them. And they just serve themselves under the guise of Christian service. Oh yeah, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a priestly minister. Oh yeah, I'm at the temple. Yeah, I go there. I'm, I'm there on Wednesdays and Sundays. Yeah, I'm there at the church. You say, but I'm not really picking up on these things in your life, Hophni and Has I, I see more fruit of the flesh than I see a fruit of the spirit. Oh yeah, 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 we go to that church. Yeah, we do that. They're just worshiping God out of convenience. Those who serve God from a, from a mode of convenience, what do they do? They bring God's judgment on to their lives. And as Eli, his altar, it spoke to those who have been here for years and years on end. But, but the, the, the sins of, of, e, of Hophni and Phinehas, they're somewhat, they speak to the younger crowd. Not just them, but, but it's more, it's, it's generally the case that, that these younger generation, myself included, that, that you just think, well, you know what? My, my mom and my dad had it and, and my grandparents had it and you just kind of just follow in and, and you're just worshiping God. You're just serving him out of convenience. And then the Philistines come along and they kill 4,000 men and you start to pray and you feel you're like Samson. You're like, man, where's that spirit at? I need somebody to pray for me. I need somebody to intercede for me. Why? Because you've just been serving God when it was convenient for you. You don't know God for yourself. It was Felix that told Paul in Acts 25, he said, you know what, Paul, just come back at, at a time that's more convenient for me. Whenever it feels good for me, you can come back. The problem with this kind of thinking is that it is a mindset of pride and that there is one sin that God hates. It is the sin of pride, putting your own desires ahead of God's desires. The musicians can come. This, this tragic story is ultimately a story of God's grace and mercy. 
You say, well, I really didn't pick up on that through the message, Brother Justin, but you know, it's a, it's a non-educated viewpoint that says that the God of the Old Testament is a God that has no grace and has no mercy. That is the height of foolishness. And that's the mildest way that I know how to say it. Because even after God pronounced his judgment on Eli, guess what? He still allowed three generations to follow after. Three generations. It's not until we see Eli's great-grandson, whose name was Abiathar, he went against God's chosen man, King Solomon, that the lineage of Eli is finally eradicated. That's God's grace and mercy in action. How many times did he give Eli another chance? How many times did he give Hophni and Phinehas another chance? How many times did he give their boys and and their grandsons and their great-grandsons, he gave them another chance? And that's what I would say is the message for here tonight, for us tonight. Because are there times where we're complacent? Probably. Are there times where that we're, we're too busy that, that we let our devotion begin to slack? Probably. Are there times where that, that we, we just serve God because it benefits us and not because we're looking to bring God glory? Probably. God's not pleased by that, but guess what? God, who is rich in mercy has given us an opportunity here tonight to shake those things off, to shake away that apathy, to shake away that complacency, to shake away that pride and to say, you know what? I'm going to live a life like Samuel. I'm going to consecrate my life. I'm going to set myself apart, not so that I can be lifted up. If I don't ever become a great prophet like Samuel, that's not the point. What the point is, is that I'm giving my life for God's service. Every little thing I do, does this bring God glory? Is God's name lifted up whenever I do this, whenever I do that? There's still time you can stand here tonight. Don't wait like Felix did. Don't say, you know what? Tonight's not a good time, brother Justin. Tonight's, tonight's just not the night. I still have some things I want to do. Or I'm waiting for the new year to start that Bible reading plan. Or, or, or I'm waiting to get that new job that, that the hours are going to be a little bit better and I'll be able to, to serve God and give God a little more time then. Don't wait. Don't wait. God doesn't want part of you. God wants all of you. He wants you to run after him wholeheartedly. Get in the temple alone with God. Be like Samuel. I'm just gonna give myself to your service, God. I'm just gonna give myself to the calling that you put on my life because God, I know at some point you're gonna speak to me. I know at some point you're gonna give me a mission and I'm gonna have to go out and do it wholeheartedly. But now while I'm just doing the regular part of my Christian service, God, you're preparing me for the work that you have for me. Spend time with God. He's gonna speak to you. There's in scripture, you look, God says, if you seek me, you're going to find me. He's he's not like trying to put that laser pointer out like we do with with our dog and Right when he gets there, he's gonna pull it away. No, he said, if you seek me with your heart, you're gonna find me. I wanna open up these altars here tonight. If anybody wants to come and say, Lord, I've been complacent. I haven't given you the best. I haven't given you my all. God, I want you to use me. If you've just been using God for 
convenience. God, get that out of my life. But God, who is rich in mercy, who is great in love, has given us this opportunity here tonight to consecrate ourselves to Him. Let's pray.